to all of our online worshippers, um, you have the privilege of grabbing a cup of coffee or tea and sitting together with us while well, we're going to do that afterwards. And so um, just a, a delight for those of you who are worshipping with us all around uh, the globe, um, and we do know that there are some of you who are outside of Switzerland, and it is really our delight to just welcome you again with us and for worshipping with us here at Lyft, and we meet here in Bar, and uh, we've met here for, what, almost eight years now, and um, we're very, very thankful for the premises that God has allowed us to share in. And so with that, what I would love you to do, please, is to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read verses 9 to 12. If you could just turn to that passage of Scripture. Outstanding. And I'd like to read this passage, but let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you speak to us in many ways, but the primary means that you speak to us through is your word, the word of God, the Bible. And we ask today that you would speak to us and that you would provide that which is lacking within our lives um, so that we may serve you better in Jesus' name. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 to 12 says this. Now about your love for, can you mention that phrase that we looked at last week? What, what does it say? For one another. Again, here it occurs. My, what a coincidence. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And in fact, you do so with all God's family through Macedonia. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Wow, what a powerful scripture for us to look at today. And as we looked at the Word of God last week, and as we looked at all of the one another's and the different categories that it covers, like to love one another, and how it speaks about unity, and how it speaks about building up one another, we find that that is a great command, not a suggestion, but a great command for us to get involved in by encouraging one another and by loving one another. And that means that we need to step into one another's lives to do this. 
We've got to be present with one another. We've got to be present with the family of God to do that really successfully. During the COVID period, we were able to do it in many different ways, so it's really enlarged our capacity to love one another. But the foundational basis through which we love one another is to be together to do it. And so we're very privileged over this period that God really has enlarged our capacity to love one another, to build up one another in love, to forgive one another, um, and to love one another deeply, as the Scripture says. But what oftentimes happens is that we so embrace this, which we should, that we will err on another side. And Paul speaks to the church at Thessalonica, and he gives them certain instructions after he spoke to the church in a number of areas, and again here in the book of Thessalonians, about loving one another. You see, in the Word of God, the truths that God brings out to us are so important. But the problem is this, that oftentimes we embrace one truth to the neglect of the other truth. And God wants us to be a well-rounded people so that we can love each other truly, sincerely. And within the type of church that we are, we love to get together with people. So we were with about five families last night celebrating a birthday. And we were together and we were having a whole lot of fun with one another. And again, the word one another, my goodness, I can't believe how often we use the word one another. And that's church language and it's great language to use. But there is also another side to loving one another that Paul addresses here. And he says, this is my ambition. He says, and he says, to make it my ambition to lead a quiet life. And so he speaks about this passage of scripture and he says, you know how to love one another, but he says, you also have to learn to live a quiet life. And we're going to talk about that in a little while. But Paul says you need to make this your ambition. And so this morning, I want to speak to us about our ambition in God. What is our ambition in God? Now, there are many, many different ambitions that we have in God. Um, F.B. Meyer writes of three ambitions based on the following three passages. He says, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing unto him. So that's one of the ambitions within our lives, is to please God. And he writes there, he says, if you try and please man and God, possibly you're not going to get it right. So please God. And when we please God in the process, sometimes we will please man. If you try and please man all of the time, most often, you will not please God. And so it's very, very interesting. So he says, make it your ambition to please God. He says, secondly, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, as Ephesians chapter 4 tells us here. 
And then thirdly, he says, it has always been Paul's ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. And so many of you may ask me the question, is ambition wrong? I know that Yeruna and I, maybe three or four years ago, had a discussion about ambition. And so we want to answer the question and say, is ambition wrong? Well, within this context, ambition kind of means to aspire after something which is good. To strive earnestly and to make it one's aim. And so the word ambition within the Christian context is a good word that we need to strive after. It is that which we aspire after, or that which we want to achieve. So that is kind of like the ambition that Paul is speaking about here. But now also what he does here is that he says there is another ambition in the context of one another that we should strive after. And he says this ambition is to live a quiet, a calm, and a responsible life. And he says that ought to be our ambition in life. Now, obviously, he is not saying to live a quiet, calm, and a responsible life, that we need to lock ourselves up in a room and never get together with other people because then we can't love one another. And so he addresses the extremes that we get involved in. Oftentimes, whilst we're wanting to love one another, there is a sense where we get distracted within our lives. Because we get involved in conversations that we shouldn't. We eavesdrop when we shouldn't. And Paul is addressing this area within the book of the Thessalonian Christians. Why? Because what had happened in the book of Thessalonians is that um, through the Holy Spirit, God was speaking to the church about the things that was to come. The return of Christ and what other people felt that it was going to happen now. So what they were doing is they were quitting their jobs, they were sitting at their homes, and they didn't have anything better to do. So people started to talk and talk and talk, and they started to talk and get involved in one another's business when they shouldn't be doing that. And so Paul is writing to them, and he says, you know, don't quit your jobs. The Lord's coming is imminent, which means it is going to happen in the near future, and we're still waiting. And he's saying to those Christians, the problem is that you're loving one another, but you're overstepping your bounds. And what you are doing is you're sticking your nose in other people's business when you shouldn't be doing that. And he says, what you need to understand is that sticking your nose in other people's business is actually not loving one another as I would want you to do. And so, when you look at the scriptures here, and you look at what Paul is saying to the church here, he says you should have these ambitions within your life. But he says, my ambition within my life, he says, 
is to keep my nose out of other people's business by living a quiet, a peaceful, and a life that is not distracted. And so as I was reading just what some other writers were saying about this passage, you know, they were talking about living a quiet life, and I thought, Lord, the Bible will never fit into my lifestyle. I've got to try and fit into the Bible's lifestyle, but how in the world do I live a quiet life? I hope you had those thoughts too. You know, and how do I live a life where um, I can aspire to this being my ambition? Because our work here as elders is to be involved in other people's business. Because we will give an account for every person seated here to God one day. And that's why the book of James says that we, as leaders, will have a much stricter judgment when we face God one day. Because we step into other people's lives. And we have to be involved in other people's business when they open the door. Or the Bible says that sometimes there needs to be correction, there needs to be rebuke, there needs to be instruction in righteousness. And so I said to God, this command is so hard for me to keep. How should I do it? And so this has been a journey for me since January. Because on January chapter 11, I was studying through the book of Thessalonians. And I date my devotions as I read through the book. And this devotion on the 11th of January was one that I went through and I do notes within my Bible. And I wrote there, my ambition in God is to lead a quiet life. That's my ambition in God. And God, give me wisdom to know how I need to lead a quiet life. And so what I've purposefully have done was when people talk in a group and the moment when they start talking about an area that they shouldn't when it has to do with someone else, I just leave the conversation. And I remember doing that a little while ago. And one person in that group afterwards came to me. He says, Peter, I noticed what you did. I said, what did I do? He says, the group was speaking about a person and they never should have. And you left the group immediately. I didn't say anything. I just exited the group and I left. Why? Because I know it is a trap that is easy for me to fall into. Not just because it's part of our work, but because it is part of our human nature, and may I say our sinful human nature. And so it is something that most of us actually struggle with. But if we want to grow in our relationship with God, and my desire truly is to please God, it's one of my highest goals within my life, is to please God then I need to proactively ask the Holy Spirit to form that part of my character so that I can honor God. I know oftentimes Jenny and I would be speaking to different people, and as she speaks to someone and I hear the name, I would go to Jenny and I'd say, um, is it something that I need to know? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? And Jenny said, no. I said, cool. And I don't ask any leading questions. Why? 
My ambition in life is to lead a quiet life in the context of what God has called me and in the context of what God has called you. All of us need to define what it means to live a quiet life. For me, it's a massive distraction. So I just put in my notes, for me, and there are other definitions that I really couldn't get my heart around because it's just not in the context of who I am and what God called, us, called me to. And, I, and, and so for me, a quiet life means to live a life without distraction. Because those conversations which are actually ungodly will distract me from what God has called me to do. Can you understand that? And you'll find when you're involved in certain conversations that's none of your business, it'll distract you from the purposes of God. And so firstly... This is my ambition in God. What does it mean to live a quiet life? We spoke about that. To live a quiet life for me is to live a life free of distraction. This week when you sit down, you need to answer the question in your devotions. And say, what does it mean for me to live a quiet life? Some of you need to get out of the stuff that you're involved in currently to live a quiet life. A life that is focused on God whilst loving one another. You see, that's the balance. We've got to love one another. But don't get distracted because we want to please God with all of our hearts. Now, it's very interesting that when Paul speaks about a quiet life, he said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 to 3, he says, I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. What does he say then? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he uses the phrase again, to live a quiet life. I believe that we will pray more effectively when we live a quiet life. Because we see here that he says that when we pray for kings and when we pray for all who are in authority, he says we will live a quiet life. So it seems like that prayer and a quiet life is probably the fruit of each other. If you stick your noses in other people's lives, there is no ways that you can pray the way that you need to. And so it's so important for us to learn as we are involved in one another's lives. As one person says this, the other person will say that, and very quickly our lives are no longer quiet because we're distracted and there's all kinds of things that within our hearts and our minds are filled with other people's business instead of the business that we should be attending to. 
And he says here, when you pray for kings and for those in authority, the fruit of that will be a quiet life. So I think there's a direct relationship between a quiet life and prayer. It doesn't mean to be silent, but it does mean that there is a restfulness within our lives. I think there is a restlessness within our lives when we live the opposite lifestyle. Have you ever spoken about someone and your peace is changed within your life? Have you ever spoken to someone and you become restless, not restful within your spirit? It is this thing that Paul is speaking to the church at Thessalonica. He's saying you've got too much time on your hands to talk about others. He said, work with your hands. He says, actually, get back to the business that God has called you to. My friends, the problem is when we stick our noses in other people's business, the reason oftentimes why that happens is because we are not doing what God is calling us to do. We're not busy with God's things. These people had given up working. These people were sitting around and saying, Lord Jesus, would you please come? Paul says, get up. Start working with your hands again and stay out of other people's business. When we focus on doing the things that God has called us to do, that restlessness will make room for restfulness. And it works, believe me. I've tried to do it. I've failed in it a number of times. But it's still my desire to live there. And when I live there, there is definitely a restfulness within my heart. And I know it pleases God. And it's also healthy for me. And it will be healthy for you. So for me, my ambition in God is to live a life free from distraction. And you'd say, Piet, well, just how do I live? Life that is free from distraction, a life that is restful in God instead of restless. Well, we've already spoken about it, and Paul is very, very clear. He just says, we live a quiet life by minding our own business. My friends, I don't need to tell you what is your business and what is not. You very, very quickly know when something is your business and when it is not. <laughs> I know when it's my business and when it is not. Even in the context of my work here at church. And the lines are slightly blurred there. But the Holy Spirit guides us. I like the paraphrase here. When Paul says you should mind your own business in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. The paraphrase is keep your nose clean. And keep it out of the lives of others. There's an Italian proverb which says this. Let every fox take care of its own tail. An unknown guy said, hey, I found your nose. It was in my business again.
there is a distinct difference between showing concern for an individual's spiritual needs and becoming a busybody. Seeking small-minded excuses to get involved in the lives of others. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, just um, a chapter before the one that we have read, Paul says, he says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. Interesting. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. What he was saying is, you guys are visiting each other too much. He says, go home and eat your own bread. There's a spiritual picture here that he's painting for us. He says, it's good that you eat together. But he says, you're meddling in each other's business and you're destined for a breakdown or a breakup. In Proverbs, it says, be very careful that you're always at the door of your neighbor's house. Be very, very careful. It is a picture of eventually meddling in the affairs of others. Paul says, keep your nose out of other people's business. When I grew up, there was the term stop meddling in someone else's business. I know it's not a term that all of you youngsters use today, but stop meddling in someone else's business. Have you heard the phrase, and that was particularly prominent in my parents' generation, uh, they were saying, mind your own beeswax. Have you heard your parents say that? Mind your own beeswax. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 17 and 18 says, he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own, is like one who takes a dog by his ears. He is like a madman who throws firebands, arrows, and deaths. Wow! Certainly that should get our attention. I had a wise man who counseled Jenny and I within our marriage, and he said, if you and your wife are having difficulties, Piet, don't go to your mother and complain to your mother about Jenny. Or Jenny, don't go to your mom and complain to your mom about Piet. Because he says when your quarrel is sorted out, your parents will still hold the grudge. And that's what happens when we get involved in a situation as Paul describes here, when we meddle in a quarrel that is not yours. 
It's like grabbing a hold of a dog's ears. And do you know what happens? He'll recoil and he'll bite you. It's meddling in the affairs of others. And then, of course, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. Wow. And in the same context, he says, Or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So how do we live a life that is not distracted, a life of purpose? Where there is peace within our hearts, a quiet life. Yes, mind your own business. You know, within every church that I've pastored, with any club that I've been a part of, with any community of people, there are always those that will, in company or over a telephone, tell the whole world about their own business and about the business of other people. And Paul directly addresses those of us who live there. And he says, mind your own business and you will lead a quiet life. So that's the first thing, if you want to live this life of peace within the context of loving one another, mind your own business. Secondly, if we want to live a quiet life, we need to follow Jesus. And you say, well, where do you get that in that passage? Well, Paul says here, and work with your hands. He says, take care of your own business, the business that God gave you. And when we start to take care of the business that God gave us, it makes it so much easier to follow Jesus. And my friends, we can't do this by ourselves. The gospel has to come, and the power of God has to enter our lives, and he has to sever this ungodly behavior that is attached to our lives, and when the gospel comes into our lives and it's almost like a scissors that comes and it disconnects us from that type of life, my friends, um, we will be able to live quiet lives in God where we are not distracted by all of the other things that happens. And what happens is that we'll start doing what Jesus called us to do. We'll follow him. There is a wonderful passage, one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture that I kind of would like to just end with today. You know, and it's found in John chapter 21. And I would like you, if you have a physical Bible or on your phone, and if you could color this verse, you need to color it in, in the context of what we're talking about. John chapter 21, verses 18 to 22. And these verses says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple that whom Jesus loved was following them. That was John. 
This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Peter saw him. He asked, Lord, what about him? What about John? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. What was Jesus saying? Mind your own business. Follow me, Jesus said. Just mind your own business. What is that to you? Now, this is a real challenge to me when I read the scripture. Jesus says, follow me. And when you follow Jesus, you will start minding your own business. My friends, we cannot do it within our own strengths. We've got to follow Jesus. It is the gospel that frees us from all of these things that distracts us and that causes ungodly behavior within our lives. When we start to follow Jesus and the things that he's called us to, and we are busy with his things, I tell you, my friends, we'll spend less time on WhatsApp trying to find out about other people's business. My challenge is I'll spend less time on Twitter. Because on Twitter, you hear about everybody's business in the world. And I wonder what Jesus would have said about Twitter today. Now, I love following the football news and the cricket news on Twitter. But with that, that that's like 20% of Twitter for me. The other 80% is about everybody else's lives that I actually don't want to know about, really, but it is so sly because the more I read those, the more I want to know what's going on with the other people. And as a matter of fact, Scripture says it's none of my business. So I think Paul would have used an illustration of Twitter and he would have said, hey guys, delete Twitter on your phone <laughs> so that you can mind your own business. Ish, that's hard, isn't it? Facebook. Facebook has turned into everybody's business. And somehow we need to find a godly approach in all of this. I, say, I don't say turn all of that off. I love keeping in touch with my friends in America, in the UK, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. You know, there's benefits to it. But we've got to find a godly approach to making sure that we mind our own business because I'm telling you that so much of what we hear over Twitter, over Facebook, is putting fear within people's hearts. And it's destroying our calmness and the peace that God wants us to have. And these media systems is distracting us. It's probably a good time for one or two of you to say, oh man, well, there's only one or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's my challenge. John standing there. Jesus speaking to Peter about a very important thing within his life. John edges closer. He was behind them. I don't know whether John was eavesdropping. What do you think? My friends, when people are always standing closer to hear what you are saying, possibility is that they're not minding their own business. It's time that we say to one another, whether it be over a fit telephone call, whether it be in a group discussion, or even just two people, just to say, do you know what? 
We're not minding our own business at this time, and we're not loving one another as we should. Do you think the conversation is going to continue when you lovingly, in wisdom, turn to someone and say, you know, you're not minding your own business now. It's none of your beeswax. I tell you, it'll put a stop to it like this. Especially as we want to love one another more, and especially as we want to be involved in one another's lives more, we have to be courageous enough to protect yourself, but also the other person, and just say, you know what we, what we just talked about is actually none of our business. And I tell you, telephone conversations, if you still have them, would be reduced by 50%. Conversations in groups would be reduced by 50%, and we will start talking about Jesus more often. And my friends, the result would be that we will start to live quiet lives. And just right here on June the 11th, January 2020, I wrote a challenge for me. And this is my challenge. To live a quiet life and one that pleases the Lord Jesus. And I wrote this for me. May my words be few. And if you know me, that's almost a miracle. <laughs> but it's, I'm trying to strive after that. And again, I say I'm a work in progress, but that's my goal. Is let my words be few, even with my spouse. Honestly, some marriage counseling. You don't always have to have the last word with your spouse. I find that when I want to have the last word with Jenny, so often my peace is disturbed. And oftentimes it comes out of a sense of insecurity within us when we want to have the last word. It's a personal experience, just me and my wife. And even within my conversations with you, do you always need to have the last word? Or are you able to let your words be few? And I wrote, so let my words be few. Let my thoughts be pure. And my hands be clean. That's the challenge for myself. And let's make this our ambition through the Lord Jesus Christ as we love one another. Would you stand, please?